starting in verse 10, it says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Verse 12, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when, he, when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Lord, this is your word, and once again we come to it and we stand in awe. Lord, we stand in awe that, that your word throughout the, the, the generations, God, has continued to speak to hearts and minds, and Lord, we have no doubt in our mind this morning that your word will do that with us. And so, Lord, help us to have ears to hear and a heart to receive what it is that you want us to know, what you want to speak to us about. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let me just tell you, uh, 1 Corinthians, actually, another pastor uh, jokingly said, aren't you glad you guys started 1 Corinthians? And I was like, yeah. Well, you would know, wouldn't you? Because so far we've talked about sexual morality and marriage and divorce and even sex and marriage. And here's the thing that I want to see happen within all of us is that we would start thinking about the word of God. And so I, I, th I think there's this fear that some people have is that when they hear a message, they're not allowed to approach the pastor and ask questions afterwards. Don't have that thought. Don't, don't go there because, listen, uh, I, I welcome the questions. I welcome the, 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 the questions. <laughs> Just bring them. If God is stirring something on your heart, uh, I'm, I'm not going to say, let's schedule an appointment this time, that time, and uh, let's go. Let's, let's open the word of God together. Let's address whatever God has put on your heart. But I have to also realize this and understand this. Each of us has gone through something or we are going through something. 
Um, and I know these particular topics that we've been talking about as we go through 1 Corinthians 7, they will either bring up things that have happened in the past or they will bring up things that are happening right now. And listen, I want to be as sensitive as possible to this. Um, I, we all have gone through something in regards to what we're reading. And honestly, the things that we have gone through, there's, they're kind of in the gray area. Uh, when it comes to God's word, some things are just black and white. But then there are other things that are like, well, I'm going through this. Does God's word address this? And so what we want to do here as we study scripture is make sure that we're doing just that, studying scripture. We're sticking to the word of God. We're, we're unpacking it. We're, we're digging into it. So if I could say anything, hear me when I say this. My desire is not to be insensitive or to show a lack of compassion for what you've gone through. My desire is to faithfully preach the word of God. If there are gray areas and you are seeking the Lord on these gray areas, let's talk about it so we can pray together, so we can look to God's word to see if God's word does say anything. If it doesn't, then we just wait. We don't add to God's word and we don't take away from God's word. Listen, I understand these are sensitive topics, and, and I understand the word of God at times can be very offensive to all of us, but we need God's word, even the hard parts, and so this is no exception this morning as we are talking about uh, divorce and even uh, and a believer being married to an unbeliever, but in verse 10 through 11, Paul, he says, to the married, I give this charge, and then in parentheses, he says, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce the wife. Paul is making it clear that the first charge of marriage was actually laid down by Jesus Christ himself. In, in the first charge, ultimately, is that the two would become one. Jesus even mentioned that in scriptures where the two are no longer uh, uh, separate, but they're one flesh. They're, they, they enter into a union with e each other. And Paul is making it, once again, like I said, clear that Jesus taught on these. In Matthew 5, 32, it says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm not writing anything new to you. You've already heard this from Jesus himself. I'm basically reiterating what Jesus has said. He says the wife should not separate from her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. The command is this. It's very simple. If you're married, stay married. Believers, if you are believers together, stay married. Stay in that union together. Listen, marriage is full of rough patches. Would you agree if you were married? You have probably experienced those rough patches. And there have been times where you probably wanted to strangle the other spouse. I get it. But listen, even through the hard times of marriage, God is saying, stay married. Fight for your marriage. Work for your marriage. Because listen, the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. He, he wants to rip you apart. See, divorce as a way of reminder, was never God's intent. Divorce is a byproduct of sin. When sin entered the world, divorce came with it. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, sin crept in and caused blame shifting in marriage. It, ca it caused accusation in marriage. It caused separation in marriage. 
it caused shame in marriage. And so the question that I came up with in my own study of this is, what happens if two believers divorce? Uh, for other reasons aside from sexual immorality. Because Paul, like he's reiterating, Jesus is saying, listen, the only grounds for divorce is sexual immorality. But what happens if two believers divorce not on the grounds of sexual immorality? Paul says it right here in the, in, in the verses. For the reasons other than what is permitted in Scripture, Paul is saying, listen, if you are divorced as believers, remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. He, he says it right there. He says, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Most of the time, divorce occurs because of irreconcilable differences. It's usually what happens when you get two people together is there's always going to be in irreconcilable, in irreconcilable differences. And I'm not talking about the biblical reasons for divorce. I, I'm, I'm talking about just little minor things. Remember the lawsuits that we were talking about in Scripture? How they were, they, they were taking their lawsuits to pagan judges and, and people that could address their situation. And Paul was saying, listen, you need to go to each other. The things that you're arguing about are so petty, so minute, that you should be able to address it yourself. We also have to understand this, though, that marriage takes work. And if you're unwilling to put in the work into the permanency of marriage, why should you expect fruit? If you stop dating your wife, if you stop serving your husband, if you let your marriage just sit in the place of, oh, it's always been that way, it's never going to change, then you can bet it won't. There has to be some effort that marriages partake on together. We, as husband and wife, have to understand that, you've heard the phrase, it takes two to tango. <laughs> marriage is hard. Marriage is hard, but when worked on, nurtured, and cared for, it is rewarding. It is sweet. And listen, no matter if it's the marriage relationship or the child-to-parent relationship, whenever you get sinners involved in anything, it's messy. We like, well, I don't know if we like to make messes, but we make messes, <laughs> We make messes in relationships, and, and that's why we turn to God's word, because God's word addresses uh, situations where messes may arise, just like 1 Corinthians. Remember, these people were in, uh, they were in a, a, a deep pile of mess. They, they were so uh, confused in their understanding of what it meant to follow Christ because of the pagan world around them. They just, and so Paul says, listen, listen up. This is how you should go about some of these things. Uh, that you're dealing with. But when it comes to divorce, because like I mentioned last week, the statistics for divorce compared to Christians and non-Christians, Christians is much higher than non-Christians. So rather than asking is blank grounds for divorce, the question should be is blank grounds for forgiveness? Because at some point, your spouse is going to wrong you. They're going to do something that upsets you, that makes you angry. Or you, but listen, you've done the same thing to Jesus. And, and his, thing, his, his question was, is this grounds for me not to die for them? He says, no, is this grounds 
to forgive them. Now, Paul in this passage, he doesn't specify what the reason for separation was. He doesn't come out and say that it was sexual immorality. He just says if two, if two believers are separated, uh, then here's what they should do. But it could have been any reason. It could have been any reason that this uh, Christian couple divorced. But the people in Corinthian, in, in Corinth, excuse me, were choosing to divorce even the ones who had given their lives to Christ. They were walking in the way of the world and then all of a sudden they get into some confrontation and then, I'm done. I'm done with you because you rubbed me wrong or I'm done with you because you said this. That's not grounds for divorce. And so Paul is getting to uh, the truth of what Jesus said. See, when it comes to a Christian marriage, Like Jesus says, there is only one reason for divorce to happen within a marriage, and that is sexual immorality or adultery, slash adultery. But even at at that, God's heart is not for divorce to happen. But he says, Jesus speaking, if sexual immorality does occur, there is grounds for divorce. And you you wonder, and I wonder, I know I, I... I do, but what about the the what ifs? What if my spouse is physically abusive? Does God's word address that? What if what if my spouse is addicted to pornography or drugs? Does the the word address that? What if my spouse is an alcoholic? Does the word address that? What if he has or she has a gambling addiction? Does the word address that? Specifically? No. We don't need to add to God's word though. And we cannot say these are necessarily grounds for divorce. However, in any of these instances, there may be a cause for separation. Not permanent separation, but temporary separation with the purpose of repentance and reconciliation. That is the only time uh, that separation should occur is with the, the, the intent of seeing the other individual repent and then to be reconciled. Verse 12 through 14, it says, to the rest I say, now Paul is saying, this is what I'm saying. This is what the Lord's laid on my heart. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So now Paul is talking about the believer and the unbeliever being married together. He says, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So who is the word to? This word specifically is to the husband who has an unbelieving wife. Uh, This word is to the wife who has an unbelieving husband. Paul is not adding to the word of God, remember, when he says, I, not the Lord. He is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus in the Gospels did not teach on what Paul is teaching here. He he did not teach on what a believer should do if they marry an unbeliever. And God had given direct revelation through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to uh, for revelation for this topic. To say, okay, here's what you need to do. The scenario was this. You remember the Corinthians were 
idol worshipers. They, they worship pagan gods. They, they worship the, the goddess Aphrodite, who is the goddess of sex. And they, they evolved around everything worldly. And they just, that's all that they were known for. Corinthian, the Corinthian church, when you looked at it, was more so looking like the world than they were the church. And the scenario was this, Paul comes on the scene, he's on his missionary journey, and he starts preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved, and unbelievers, people who were not believers at the time of Paul's arrival, they were getting saved. So these two non-Christians, they get married, one becomes a believer, the other one might become the believer, but in this instance, Paul is saying, okay, only one of you is a believer, so what do you do? One person heard the gospel and they got saved and the other person is still worshiping pagans, pagan idolatry. And he's saying, this could get messy. And many of the Corinthians most likely had this question. What do we do? I'm saved, but my wife or husband is not. We're kind of confused. Do we stay married or do we get divorced? What, what do we do? And Paul lays out for the guidelines for what to do and even the benefits of it. Number one is uh, the believer should not divorce just because the other is not a believer. Why? Because his answer is in the next verse, in verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now, don't take this verse out of context. If you are married to an unbeliever, that unbeliever is not saved just because you're a Christian. That would be nice, but that's not the way it works. See, this word holy, to be made holy, is what Paul is saying, is literally to, to, to set apart. It has nothing to do with receiving salvation. It has everything to do with the influence, influence and impact for the sake of the gospel has that the believing spouse has on the unbelieving spouse. John MacArthur says this. He says, in God's eyes, a home is set apart for himself when the husband, wife, or by implication any other family member is a Christian. Such a home is not Christian in the full sense, but it is immeasurably superior to one that is totally unbelieving. Listen, if you're the believer in your marriage this morning, your home is set apart because of your relationship with the Lord, because of your decision to follow Jesus. Your whole household is not saved, but they are influenced by your relationship with the Lord. And so if a believer were to leave the marriage that person's soul would not be impacted by you anymore. And the benefit is, is this, is that a believer staying to, married to an unbeliever is exposure to the gospel. It's saying, listen, you know who I was before. And much like the, the couples in Corinthian, uh, Corinth, they were very worldly, very much just out of control. And so one believer uh, one person gets saved and the other isn't and they're looking at the other person like, what in the world happened to you? Why don't, why don't you respond the same way? What, what is going on with you? And they're able to see the transformation that Jesus has made in their heart. And the same can be true of us. Uh, listen, just because you may have married an unbeliever does not uh, mean that your impact is any less than it 
would be if you weren't. You are impacting the unbelieving spouse by just being there, by giving grace, by giving mercy, by showing love and sharing the gospel. And, and you may say, well, I've, I've tried. I've, I've, I've tried sharing the gospel with my spouse or, or maybe you know somebody like that and he, they're just resistant. Every time I share, they just say, no, be quiet. I don't wanna hear about your faith anymore. What do I do? Pray. Pray. Pray for your spouse. Pray that their hearts would be softened. Pray that they would see the transformation that, is, that Jesus has made in you. And maybe you're not married this morning. You're a kid in the home or the only member in your family that is saved. One of the most effective tools that we have in our arsenal as believers is prayer. James 5, 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. So don't give up praying. But what about the kids? Paul addresses that as well. He says, otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, when our minds take us to holy, we automatically think like perfect. Like, okay, cool. I'm a believer, so my husband's going to be perfect, my wife's going to be perfect, my kids are going to be perfect, my dog's going to be perfect. It's not the guarantee of salvation. It's the guarantee, like I said, that you are set apart. See, each person has to receive salvation on their own. You can't live off of the faith of another person. You must have your own faith. You, you must accept the salvation that Jesus extends to us by what he did for us on the cross. See, the kids will actually receive a spiritual blessing because you as the believing parent will display prayerfully and hopefully display Christ's work that he's done in you. So the first one is, is that uh, the believing spouse should not leave the un believing spouse. The second guideline is this, the unbeliever has a choice. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, once again, hear me when I say this, God is not advocating for divorce. He's not saying this is your number one option. Your, your number one option is to stay married. Uh, that, that's God's call. God never once advocates for divorce. It, it was not his design, and the Christian partner should do almost whatever it takes to keep the marriage together. But the question is, when is it okay for a believer and non-believer to divorce? When the unbelieving partner is insistent in leaving. In other words, desertion from the marriage. It's a dominant motivation for the unbeliever. If the unbeliever says, I can't, I can't do it anymore, nor do I want to do it anymore, Scripture says it is permissible for divorce. If the unbelieving partner refuses to be married, then the marriage can be broken. See, it's very touchy when we come to verses like these. Uh, because we've all experienced it ourselves or we know somebody who has gone through it. Well, listen, if you have, I want to remind you again, there's grace. See, if divorce happens, 
we have to remember that it is a byproduct of sin, but the question has to come up as well. If divorce happens, is the believer free to marry again? Short answer, yes. Uh, Paul says, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Now, there's two interpretations of this verse. The first one is the believer is free to, to divorce, but not to remarry. The second interpretation is the believer is free to divorce and free to remarry. So which one is right? I believe that the second one is right because Paul is saying that your marriage bond has been broken because of the decision of the unbelieving spouse to leave. The unbelieving spouse leaves and it is a break in the marriage covenant. And Paul ultimately says that the person who has... uh, now gone to the unmarried category as we looked at and as we'll look at next week, uh, they're free to remarry. But Paul, as we will see, strongly urges that person to remain single for the sake of undistracted ministry. But what about believers? So we talked about the unbeliever to the believer marriage, but what about the believers? Uh, when is the marriage bond broken for believers? Uh, God's original intent for marriage was for it to last for life, right? That's what marriage is. The two become uh, one flesh, not for a temporary season, but for their whole life. So when is the bond between husband and wife dissolved? Number one is death. Romans 7, 2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. She is free from that law, And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. The the second reason for a marriage bond to be broken for believers is adultery. Matthew 19, 19, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And for the unbeliever to the believer, it's what we just read. When an unbelieving spouse chooses to leave the believing spouse. So... We're going to jump down to verse 17. Paul says this. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him into which God has called him. And he says, This is my rule in all the churches. This is the stay where God has placed you principle. If God has placed you somewhere, there's a reason that he's got you right there. Uh, what has God assigned you to? Maybe you are married, maybe you are single, or, or maybe you're divorced or widowed. Whatever you are, wherever you are, Paul is saying God has placed you there for a specific reason. Uh, to use you for his glory, for his purposes. And I think so often we think, well, once my life gets back into order and I'm able to function a little bit better and things kind of line up, then, then, you know, then God will use me. No, God wants to use you right now where you are. The problem is, is that we become discontent with where God has us, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our jobs, whether it's in raising our kids, whether it's you fill in the blanks. Oftentimes we find ourselves becoming increasingly discontent with where we're at. And then you know what happens? We start to grumble. And maybe you find yourself grumbling in your position this morning. Your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. Your singleness isn't what you thought it would be. Your job isn't what you thought it would be. Your, you fill in the blank, isn't what you thought it would be. Part of the problem is, is that we're discontent because we choose to look at what we don't have rather than what we do have. 
Another part of the problem is, is that we forget to do what Paul tells us to do in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice. He says it again, and again, I'll tell you, rejoice. Another problem is that we forget that God is not going to waste the place or the season that we're in. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know how Paul says he's learned the secret? Well, this is his secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, you and I will experience seasons of discontentment. But the secret to facing them is to realize that Christ is our strength. He is our contentment. He's all we need. And Paul is, in this passage, primarily talking about this. Where were you in the time that God called you? Were you working for the county? Stay there. Shine your light. Were you working for a school? Stay there. Shine your light. Were you working at a warehouse? Stay there and shine your light. Are you a stay-at-home mom? He's saying stay there and shine your light. Maybe you're like me and we have a blended family. Stay there and shine your light. Paul is saying, here's the point. Shine your light for Christ no matter where you are at. And Paul gives examples of being content with where we are through circumcision and through being a slave. In verse 18, he says that ultimately Jewish believers should not shed their Jewishness and act like Gentiles, nor should Gentiles uh, shed their unique calling and act like Jews. In verse 21, he says that slaves should not fret about being freed from the legal obligation of service. And those who are free should not seek to indenture themselves to a new master. And I love this verse. He says, you were bought with a price. He says, don't become bondservants of men. Spurgeon has a powerful quote. He says, do not so surrender yourself to any leadership that you rather follow the man than his master. I will follow anybody if he goes with Christ, but I will follow nobody by the grace of God if he does not go in that direction. Paul is saying, listen, don't follow the man. Don't follow the human. Follow Christ. Follow the Lord. And Paul is stating this fact, as he does in all of his letters, that Jesus bought us with his blood. But he's saying sometimes there are, there is, excuse me, a cost to following Christ. I want to close with this story, actually this verse. Uh, it says, so brothers, in whatever condition... Each has called, there let him remain with God. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam was compromised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. And into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist missions, spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. 
Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As, the, as both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man replied, though none go with me, still I will follow. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, the man said the final memorable lines, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family, but with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man, and he wondered, why should this man, his wife, and two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith, and I, too, want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. And when the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Wow. Listen, there is a cost to following Jesus, and sometimes you will feel that it is increasingly hard to follow him, but don't stop. Choose to follow Jesus, even in the midst of the season that he's got you in. If you are married to an unbelieving spouse, stay there and make the decision to follow Jesus. Listen, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. The, the choice is yours to follow Jesus. Let me ask you this question this morning. How serious are you in your relationship with the Lord? Are you willing to follow Jesus in whatever situation you are in? Listen, I've already said it. God has placed you where you're at for a specific reason. There's no accidents when it comes to God. God doesn't have the word oops in his, his vocabulary. And listen, God has placed me here this morning to tell you this, that Jesus shed his blood for you. You were worth dying for. And by faith, if you believe in what Jesus did, your sins can be forgiven and you can have the assurance, assurance that when you die, you will be going to heaven. So if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, do it today. Make the decision to follow Jesus in all of your ways. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, your heart is for marriage. Even when it comes to the believing and unbelieving marriage, Lord, your heart is still for marriage. Lord, marriage is supposed to be a representation of you and your bride. And Lord, I pray that we would look to you in order to know how to, how to do this thing called marriage. Lord, we thank you for addressing the hard topics in life. And Lord, we pray that as we close out in this song, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts and 
Lord, if we need to make that choice to follow you today, I pray that we, we would. Pray for those that, that have wandered off, that have gone into uh, the dark, Lord. I pray that you would just draw them back into the light, that they would give their lives over to you again. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come here and worship your holy name. Give you all the glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.